This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for joining us today for the April edition of The Balanced Perspective. My name is David Lemson of Ned Group Investments, and as usual, we're joined by Ian Power, the Portfolio Manager of our Ned Group Investments Balance Fund. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Morning, David, and good morning to everyone logging on. Just to give the audience a little bit of context, I chatted to Ian last week to put our heads together around a topic for this month's edition. And there was a lot of noise in the market around, well, the bizarre incident of a boat blocking the Suez Canal. Then there was the clamping down in China in terms of the government and the public for that matter on the likes of uh, Nike and H&M for the criticism of sustainable cotton and what's happening with the eager minorities there. And then, of course, there was probably the, the biggest hedge fund collapse in the U.S. So a lot of noise. So as you can imagine, when Ian posited the idea of the U.S. Treasury yield curve, my adrenaline didn't exactly skyrocket. But as Ian started chatting a little bit more through it, I came to realize the importance of what this curve does mean for markets and global asset class returns for that matter, and hence the subject of today's session. So I'd like to bring in Ian at this point. Ian, um, I did have to dust off my Economics 101 textbooks, but maybe you could remind the audience of why the yield curve does matter and where it currently sits in terms of recent history. And then thirdly, what this can tell us in terms of market expectations going forward. Thanks, David, and thanks to everyone. So I think the the thing to remember about interest rates and I guess the long-term or the risk-free rate in the US, why it's important is ultimately this is the rate which is used to discount the future cash flows in valuations of every single security. And I think we, we are in an environment now where we in a process of normalization from a global economic growth perspective and where economies are are dealing with COVID and countries are dealing with COVID. And I think the runway or the pathway to normalization is starting to look a lot clearer, certainly for some of the bigger geographies. And I think this has big implications for the risk-free rate or for the rate, the long-term U.S. bond, which is really the cornerstone of rates around the world in terms of what is used to discount those cash flows. So I think when one takes a step back and looks at what's happened to rates through COVID is if we sort of take a step back to just prior to COVID, you had the US 10-year treasury, which was trading at around about 3.2%, and COVID hit, and we had an enormous injection of monetary stimulus and rate cuts around the world. And on the back of that and the back of fears, you saw that U.S. 10-year bond drop all the way down to 50, 60 basis points. And as things have started to normalize, you've seen that rate now slowly start to pick up. And I think some of the things just to recognize which are important is as rates come down, what that does is it's given a boost to many risk assets and markets around the world whereby PE multiples or valuations have expanded because the discount rate has fallen. And particularly those securities and shares which have higher growth rates or which are higher PE or high growth stocks have got a disproportionately bigger benefit to a falling discount rate from that 3.2% level all the way down to 50, 60 basis points at the bottom. So in other words, multiples expanded and values expanded for those long duration growth assets. But we're now in the reversal of this process as 
economic growth normalizes and as we expect it to continue to normalize over the next 12 months. And I think what's important to recognize is that real interest rates in the U.S. are still negative. They're about minus 60 basis points. And we expect this to at least get to zero and possibly turn negative by this time next year. So what does that mean? It means that we wouldn't be surprised to see the U.S. 10-year Treasury get back to sort of the 2.5% mark this time next year, which has quite big implications for your portfolios. And certainly some of the securities or the type of securities that you're holding in your portfolios. And as I said, it's those growth type shares or the high PE shares which will be more negatively affected by a higher discount rate because a bigger proportion of the value of those shares sits in the perpetuity value, in other words, the long-term value, as opposed to more value or economically sensitive stocks where a lot of the value sits in the front end of the DCF. And I think that's why you would have probably heard lots of market commentators and perhaps investment groups talking about some rotation out of the expensive tech shares into some of the more value-orientated, economically sensitive shares, which stand to at least not be as negatively affected by what we are going to see in terms of rates, firstly. And then secondly, those shares should also get the benefit of the stronger economic recovery, which we expect to unfold over the next 12 months. So I think the perspective or the sense of what those rates are going to do is going to have a big effect in terms of the different securities that perhaps investors are holding. And our sense is that you know, many investors are still crowded in some of these long duration high growth assets, and we're likely to see that wash out as that interest rate slowly starts to tick up as it's been doing and ultimately reestablish at least a positive real interest rate environment. Thanks so much, Ian. So I guess to the meat and potatoes of today's call, if you're an advisor sitting here in South Africa, what is the potential effect of the shift on global asset class returns for the remainder of the year and foreseeable future? So I think what it does is it certainly creates an environment where the margin of safety required needs to be a bit bigger. So assets which are expensively priced, those are the assets which are likely to see more headwinds as opposed to tailwinds. And then more importantly, it's not just equities. And I think that's important for investors to recognize. I mean, if you just look at our own bond market the move in US 10-year rates has directly translated into pushing up yields in our own market and likewise across many other markets around the world and particularly emerging markets come under pressure when that US rate rises back to a level which starts to look attractive from a global yield point of view because then what it starts to do is suck capital back out of emerging market assets back into the US dollar and into those US treasuries, which at that point then will look relatively more attractive. And I think that all of these factors together, when one looks at them in combination with the fact that the US is probably leading the developed world in so far as its COVID vaccination program. I'm sure you've all seen the news on the weekend that they vaccinated almost 40 or more than 40% of their population. And they vaccinate uh, almost 3 million people a day, which means like, you know, probably before the third quarter of this year, the US is likely to have finished their vaccination program to the extent that they would have then been able to achieve some sort of herd immunity 
which means that the U.S. economy is likely to emerge first as when compared to the likes of Europe and perhaps some of the other big DMs. And I think this is just going to create further pressure behind that interest rate because of the fact that the economy is going to recover very powerfully. And forecasts this year are for 6.5% GDP growth for the U.S. I mean, this is an enormous number, which will push that economy well in excess of pre-COVID GDP levels, which makes it hard to argue why real rates should still be negative 60 basis points in this environment when the economy is likely to be in a really fantastic position. So I think the effects of higher interest rates will be felt across all asset classes, It is going to increase the need for margin of safety. It's going to put pressure on expensive assets, likely to put pressure on emerging market interest rates, as we have seen in the many emerging markets where now central banks have started to push up rates or at least indicate that the change in monetary policy cycle is now likely to become a little bit more restrictive, which makes the waters that we're going to be sailing a little bit more choppy in terms of you know being able to navigate through this. And I think that's important to recognize. And it's important to recognize that the US is really in a very, very strong position. And we think that those rates and its growth, the US is likely to surprise on the upside, meaning that one needs to be concerned about those tail risks for some of the expensive asset classes and uh, securities over the next 12, 18 months. And then if we rewind to sort of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, I remember Ben Bernanke, when he was chairman of the US Fed there, the rhetoric changed a little bit in terms of less maybe focus on inflation and more on the employment rate there. We've seen this mandate creep. Bank of England have started to incorporate climate change notions in, in their policy making. Uh, Bank of Japan looking at profitability of their banks. I think it's the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is looking at house price stability. And then here in South Africa, the Saab have probably spoken a little bit more about inclusive growth and less focus on protecting the RAND or inflation for that matter being that it's kind of falling within the band at the moment. So given what the Saab are saying and doing and uh, in terms of our local rates and what's happening in the US, is there a read through here for what the RAND might do in the foreseeable future? And then secondary to that, does it have any sort of effect on the different counters locally here in South Africa? Okay, so so I think it's a good point. So, I mean, your point is that, you know, central banks are certainly erring on the side of wanting more growth and employment and less focus on inflation. I think that's a correct observation, which gives further credence to the fact that you know, rates are likely to then surprise on the upside. If central banks are not going to respond like they have in previous cycles because they want inflation to run a little bit hotter, we'll then be careful of that long end of the curve. And I think given exactly what you've said, one needs to, you know, really think long and hard about some of those EM currencies where perhaps the fundamentals are not as strong as uh, other EMs. And typically, South Africa, Turkey, uh, some of the LATAM countries where there's real big fiscal problems are vulnerable in the context of perhaps a U.S. 10-year Treasury 12 months from now being, you know, sort of 25 2.7%. I think that will change the environment in terms of those currencies and then likely to see perhaps weaker currencies to the extent that investors have a more safer U.S. uh, security to invest in. But I think that your observation is spot on. Uh, Central banks have really changed their tune in terms of rather being on the back foot 
as opposed to the front put and waiting to see inflation first and perhaps see if the economy is running a little bit hotter. And I think that really then gives you a sense of where the risks lie in terms of those rates. And perhaps, uh, you know, hopefully I've shared how you should be thinking about uh, your portfolio and some of the securities in terms of what's more risky versus some of the uh, lower risk, higher yielding assets where, you know, Truffle thinks uh, you are likely to weather that storm a lot better than perhaps in some of those more expensive tech shares. Thank you so much, Ian. And I think I say this every month, I'd love for this call to be a couple of hours, but unfortunately we limit to a 15 minute punchy session, which I'm sure those of our clients who are still on the Easter holiday will appreciate as they're overlooking the coastline. Um, so thanks so much for your time this morning, Ian. Thanks, David. And thanks to everyone who signed in for this morning's call. Fantastic. And then from me, I was frantically scribbling away there. And a couple of key takeaways from Ian's chat is the pathway to normalization has become clearer. The US Treasury going back to 2.5% um, this time next year is a real possibility. And this could potentially negatively affect some of those higher uh, growth stocks. Um, and then in terms of the, the Treasury yield pushing up EM Treasuries, and then obviously the vulnerability of South Africa, given our current fiscal position. So thanks again for joining us this morning. I really appreciate you taking these 15 minutes out of your day. For myself, David Levinson, thanks again and take care. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.